lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. We have a jam-packed show for you today here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, and Todd Erzin. They are here with me. If you would like to join us, we'd love to hear what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Just email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe. That's the Facebook alternative. Look for Steve Dace there. Uh, follow me on Clout Hub. That's a Twitter alternative, at Steve Dace. Gab, I've, I, you guys begged me to give it a second chance. I did. I can now get it from not working at all to get it to working sporadically, so we're making progress all right so look for steve dace on gab as well and then for now we are still on twitter at steve dace show if at any point there are samples of the show that you want to share with others go back and watch again check us out on youtube as well youtube.com slash steve dace and on the alternative to youtube over on rumble at rumble.com slash steve dace show and don't forget You can still get my new book out now, A Nefarious Carol, the novella sequel to the 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot, which now feels like it wrote today's headlines five and a half years ago. By the way, we had a phenomenal uh, creative meeting about where we're at with the Nefarious Plot movie yesterday. Um, We're neck deep right now in the script writing phase, and I'm really really excited there's i really i i want to tell you guys so bad where we're at but i can't i don't want to because i want to i don't want to spoil it for you you know what i'm saying but we're in a really dark place right now <laughs> but we're in a, which means we're in a good place given the subject matter of the movie okay uh but if you want to get the sequel book what happens when the enemy is convinced that indeed his underling lord nefarious has conquered america so he thinks hey Time to take this relationship, my new relationship with that once shining city on a hill. That light has gone dark. Let's take this thing next level. Let's consummate that relationship. And he reveals himself to a young woman. He makes her the offer of eternity, a chance to change the direction of the world. Will she say yes or no? That's what my new book, A Nefarious Carol, is about. about. Thank you for the product placement there, Aaron. Appreciate that. Get your copy today at Amazon.com. I've not checked yet. I'm told Nefarious Plot is back in stock as well at nefari- at, at uh, Amazon.com. I almost called it Nefarious.com. Freudian slip alert! <laughs> okay. Um, guys, that's like the fourth time we have sold that book out. So, I, I, I mean, I'm honored, but man, wouldn't it be cool if that book just outworn... It's usefulness. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't it be cool if you could just pick that book up in a few months or a year from now and you were like, wow, that's whack, bro. Instead, if anything, given um, the the appointment that President-elect O'Biden announced last night, if anything, that book is in danger of becoming trite in the coming months. Now you're getting it. All right. But get your copy now before it sells out again for a fifth time. A Nefarious Plot and A Nefarious Carol, both online at Amazon. And if you've had a chance to read those books and you liked them, please consider leaving us a five-star review at Amazon.com. Something else you want to consider if you haven't done so already. More and more big tech crackdowns. More and more big tech tyranny. That's why, hey, you should know right now, bottom line is, 
I mean, the Democrats this week were hinting to big tech that they were going to repeal Section 230 on them because they weren't censoring enough. Okay? So you should just know this. If you are a Trump voter, a vocal Trump supporter, big tech, you're on their radar. They're coming for you or you're on the list. All right? That's why you want to protect your data as much as you possibly can. And you can do so with our friends over at ExpressVPN. Everything you search for, watch, click online, it can be tracked by big tech companies that can then match your activity to your true identity using your device's unique IP address. But when you switch on ExpressVPN with your computer, phone, uh, any of your devices, I have it on all of my devices, including my phone and my laptop here in the studio, uh, your IP address is masked by a secure VP server, which makes it harder for the websites to identify you. Plus, uh, the ExpressVPN app also encrypts all of your network data to protect any sensitive information from being compromised. All of this and more, plus it's easy install, is why it's rated the number one VPN by CNET and Wired. So stop handing your, over your data to big tech companies and their far-left enablers in government. Defend your rights with the VPN that I trust for online protection. That is ExpressVPN. Visit ExpressVPN, V as in victory, expressvpn.com slash Steve to get three extra months for free. Learn more at expressvpn.com slash Steve. So I mentioned a giant show for you today. Uh, our good friend Phil Kirpin, researcher extraordinaire, will be back with us at the bottom of the hour. We will discuss where we at, where is COVID stand at now uh, at the dawn of uh, a new uh, a new emperor of COVID stand coming in. Where are we at with lockdowns? That is, is, is there a breach in in team lockdown with some of the things we've seen out of Chicago, uh, what we've seen from the New York governor recently. Are we starting to see some breaches where that's concerned? We'll get into that with Phil Kirpin coming up uh, at the bottom of this hour. Next hour, Pop Culture Tuesday. I have watched a documentary on Amazon called The Hitler Chronicles. And I just figured it was time for me to get a refresher with all of the Hitler references and, and, and accusations and Nazi uh, name shaming that's going around. And now everybody's doing it, right? Yep. It's like Godwin's law might as well be the First Amendment. It doesn't even matter anymore. We don't reduce arguments to Nazi comparisons anymore. We just start there, right? So I wanted to get a refresher course. I was a big time World War II buff when I was a kid, but it's been a while. And I found a fascinating, I think it's a British BBC documentary on Amazon.com that is done in a very unique style called the Hitler Chronicles and I really but I really wanted to zero in on the conditions on the ground in the German culture at the time of Hitler's emergence and see are there really any parallels to where America is at right now I have some big takeaways from watching this series. I'm going to share those with all of you coming up in Pop Culture Tuesday, the intersection of pop culture and conservatism. We'll get into that next hour. And Todd and Aaron, you guys will decide. Do you see any parallels or not? All right. Um, And then for fake news or not, Pew just came out with a survey claiming 88% of Congress is Christian. Is that fake news or not? Um, Given how obvious that answer is, we put it in the shorter segment this week because it won't take very long to answer that question, right? But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. 
What happened while we were away brought to you by the most momentous development in the fight against COVID-19. Inside Edition has the story. With COVID cases soaring, experts warn it's time to double down, as in time to start wearing a double mask. President-elect Joe Biden does it. Mitt Romney double masked during the Capitol insurrection. Tom Cruise also double masks. It essentially blocks between 90 and 95 percent of all viral particles. Infectious disease specialist Dr. Monica Gandhi shows us the simple steps you can take. Actually putting the cloth mask first and then putting the surgical mask on top of it. All the electrostatic repulsion from here and then like different fibers going different ways. You just blocked, you've just made this an N95 right here. Yes, that's right. A cloth mask plus a surgical mask turns into an N95, according to experts. This is backed up by a study from the Annals of Internal Medicine, where experts concur that not only does a cloth mask plus a surgical mask equal an N95, experts also say a donkey plus an ass equals a Ferrari, cabbage plus Brussels sprouts equals a T-bone steak, and Detroit plus Philadelphia equals president dementia. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is, if two masks are good, why not three? Si dos máscaras son buenas, ¿por qué no tres? In response to this groundbreaking news, the CDC announced yesterday they are no longer recommending the use of negative air pressure rooms for treating patients afflicted with tuberculosis or anthrax, saying nosocomial use of multiple masks should be enough to mitigate any potential spread of those contagions. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, if three masks are good, why not four? Dr. Anthony Fauci of the White House Coronavirus Task Force went on CNN to react to the double masking news, saying, quote, <laughs> Although the good doctor couldn't be understood, speaking behind his fourth mask, we believe he was saying we really ought to be wearing five masks just to be extra cautious. Learning Russian today, today's phrase is, if five masks are good, why not six? Dr. Deborah Burks, also of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, released a statement saying, quote, I'm really concerned I'm not going to get my hands on enough purple rhinestones to bedazzle six masks. Learning dark tongue of Mordor today, today's phrase is, I know you are, but what am I? Moving on, Joe Biden is getting inaugurated tomorrow. It was announced yesterday that President-elect Biden has tapped Pennsylvania Health Secretary Rachel Levine to be his Assistant Secretary of Health. Of course, you know Rachel Levine as Pennsylvania's lockdown tranny who pulled his own mother out of a nursing home before COVID patients were sent in. So it seems to be a good fit. Speaking of the Joe Biden inauguration, as if it wasn't enough, there are over 20,000 National Guard troops in D.C. right now. Some Democrats are floating a, dare we say, conspiracy theory. Theory, fearing upwards of 75% of the National Guard may turn on them. I was thinking the Guard is 90 some odd percent, I believe, male. Uh, only about 20% of white males voted for Biden. you got to figure that in the Guard, which is predominantly more conservative, and I see that on my social media and we know it, they're probably not more than 25% of the people that are there protecting us who voted for Biden. The other 75% are in the class that would be uh, the, the large class of folks who might want to uh, uh, do something. Washington Post headline, to understand Trump's support, we must think in terms of multiracial whiteness. Bill Maher, once again, and of all people, is the voice of reason or something. A new rule as bad as last week was. Worst school trip ever. 
Let's not confuse 5,000 people with 74 million. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, even, <clears throat> even supporting the insurrection in spirit is, well, deplorable. But there's a difference between holding illiberal beliefs and acting violently on them. At least that's what they always told me about Islamic terrorism. I keep wrestling on this show with the hard question of how do Americans, all of us, learn to share a country with you can't stand? I've preached and still do that you can hate Trump but not all the people who like him. And finally, for some whiplash and something completely different, here's this. For those of you listening, what we're watching are two of the greatest quarterbacks of their generation, Tom Brady and Drew Brees, on the field after the game in which the former beat the latter in possibly Brees' last game ever when Brady throws a touchdown to Brees' son in the end zone. One quarterback walks off to play in the NFC Championship game while the other stays and plays with his kids. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Home Title Lock. Do not, uh, here in the new year, get a crash course on home title theft. Here's how that crime happens. The legal titles to our homes are kept online where they can be hacked. And then a cyber thief uh, finds your home's title, uh, forges your signature on a quit claim deed, uh, stating you sold your home to him, takes out loans against your home until your equity is gone, and you won't even know it until the collection calls come, maybe even or foreclosure notice, and you're not protected by your homeowner's insurance or your mortgage lender thankfully though home title lock is here to do the protecting uh they will protect you and in the unlikely event that your home title does fall victim to thieves uh while you're under their protection they're going to spend up to a quarter of a million dollars in legal fees to make sure your home's title gets restored back to you so go to hometitlelock.com register your address to see if you're already a victim hometitlelock.com and while you're there use the code radio for 30 free days of protection that's the code radio at home TitleLock.com. Coming up in the overtime, which we will record after today's show for our Blaze TV subscribers, some, I think, very promising, very promising data in an NBC Wall Street Journal poll yesterday. I'm going to highlight what the data is that I think is promising and, and why I find it so uh, for our subscribers. Then you guys can discuss uh, here on the show what you think. But that's coming up later today. We record it and then it's posted on demand later today for Blaze TV subscribers, a mini bonus episode each day called The Overtime. If you want that, as well as all of the other exclusive content we do each day here at Blaze TV, right now take advantage of our biggest discounted subscription ever, $30 off an annual subscription, $30 off. When you go to blazetv.com slash dace, D-E-A-C-E, blazetv.com slash dace, and that's also where you can go to watch The Overtime later today if you are already a subscriber and we thank you for that. Let us, therefore, get to the montage. Um, the opening of that montage, Todd and I, you guys couldn't hear our mics were off. Todd and I were laughing out loud. I mean, that was just brilliant. And a strategy that we are going to be deploying on this show a lot should we be fortunate enough as a show or as a country to survive the next four years is... Um, mockery know your erasmus yes catholic or protestant yeah, know yeah, your erasmus it, it, I've, I've cited this old irish catholic saying many many times it will become a mission statement on this show okay that what the devil hates the most is to be mocked we are we are th th this is this is not beneath contempt it's beneath reason 
These things aren't worthy of seriously arguing. It's, it's like if your child came in and said, Mom, what happens about if monkeys fly out of my butt? Would you, would you sit down with a child and spend any, any amount of brain power reasoning with them if they were adamant that monkeys could fly out of their butt? No, you would not. You would treat them as a child. That's what we're going to do to these adult children. Except in this case, because they should know better, we're not going to pat them on the head and say, that's just not how things work, honey. We're going to mock them. We're going to ridicule them. We're going to give them all of the scorn, mockery, and ridicule. And then we will reload the scorn, mockery, and ridicule. And then when we think that that is completed, we will add on even more ridicule, mockery, and scorn. There will be a lot of that. This is not, it's not reason. It's madness. And it doesn't deserve, we are, we are at the stage now where Isaiah says to the pagans, how do you know, mocks them. How do you know which end of the wood to burn and which end to worship? Where the prophet Elijah says to the pagans, I don't know, maybe your demon fake God's taking a dump right now and just can't answer all of your cavorting and, uh, you know, um, uh, dancing around. That's where we are now at. We will mock. This is the part where St. Paul says, you know what, man, if you Judaizers, if you love that circumcision so much, just cut your entire penis off then and, and, and be even triple, uh, triple uh, holy. That's essentially what Aaron was doing with the mask mockery. He was channeling Paul in Galatians. How about a triple mask, a quadruple one, a quintuple one? I mean, if you love the mask so much, then just keep piling them on. If you're so convinced circumcision is the key to God's heart, and as opposed to an expression of your faith, but the key to salvation itself, if you're so convinced, then by golly, cut the entire penis off. And I mean, you know, go all out. You know, at that point, if you're, if you're convinced that that's what it means, then go for it. That is exactly what we're going to be doing on this program. This is beyond and beneath reason. Okay? A dude with a fourth chin being a health minister to begin with? Problem? Yes. Then on top of the fact he's mentally ill. He needs serious mental counseling. And just to reset our policy on this show, which Aaron originally articulated, I guess you want to be called any name provided you're not asking me to say an obscenity. You know, I changed my name legally. I wasn't born with a name Dace. I changed it to my uh, dad, my stepdad's name when I was a teenager. Okay, so you want to change your name? If a dude wants to go by Rachel, I mean, I wouldn't do it, particularly like in middle school, if you know what I'm saying, right? That's a great way to get your ass kicked. But I mean, if dude wants to go by Rachel, okay, whatever, man. But we are not acknowledging your pronouns. We don't do that. We don't care who we get, who bans us. We don't care who fires us. We will not be doing that. We will not be acknowledging and affirming any form of your psychosis on this program. No, thank you. So that's not happening. So this dude, Rachel, who's obviously mentally ill and needs serious counseling on top of a fourth chin was the Pennsylvania health minister. And that was also then before he killed a bunch of people in nursing homes, but got his own mom out first. Because remember, Pennsylvania was one of the states we highlighted last year. Right. One of the six states where, where it was one with a Republican, Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, who's a Republican in name only. Well, actually, we're kind of the Republicans in name only. I think we're finding out. Um, 
And then it was five other states governed by Democrats, which reinfected nursing homes with people who had COVID and just murdered all kinds of people by doing so, right? Right. And this dude who's mentally ill with the fourth chin all was one of those kinds of dudes, okay? So um, that is President O'Biden's Assistant Secretary of Health. Um, that don't debate that. Don't. In fact, I wouldn't even be worried about it. I would not. I would mock it mercilessly. Mock it mercilessly. That. That's a combination. See that that is so bad and so obvious that that's where the enemy thinks he's trolling you, but really. Um, the guy upstairs is Romans one, Romans one inning us, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. The enemy thinks he's done some kind of masterful troll. No, that's, that's when the old man just says, you know what, man, I'm just going to sit back. You guys, you guys wanted me out of this. You got what you asked for. You're going to get what you asked for. It's all you knock yourselves out. That's, 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 that's a, that's a, that's a sentence right out of Romans one. Is what that is. So don't don't write columns or blogs if you're in our industry, reasoning with why this is a bad choice. You, you think the people that made the choice don't realize that? Instead, go to all your friends, especially the ones, especially the ones. I just need to make a Twitter account go away. I just need to do that. I make those mean tweets. I just need to stop. I can't do the mean tweets. I, apparently, I don't know what a block feature is, and I can't hit the mute button. Dude, I muted real Donald Trump like two and a half years ago. Okay? I can't do it. I can't. Okay, so I guess we'll have some dude, some tranny dude who murdered a whole bunch of people, a bunch of our grandparents in the nursing homes. I guess he'll be the one that helps call the shots for our health because the tweets were mean. Right? Yeah. That's the transaction we were told, right? Yeah. Rub that in the faces. Particularly if anybody go to church who thought like that. Oh, I plan on Rub it. And I mean, rub, rub. The metaphorical version of what how you potty train a dog where you just finally have to grab it by the leash and put its nose right in its doo-doo and make it smell it so it will realize that doesn't go on in the house, do that. Do that. It's time for that. If you know, At least make something productive out of this. Not a time for passivity. Don't, don't reason with fools. Don't, don't, don't reason with the mob outside of Lot's house. Mock scorn ridicule because they left reason behind a long time ago and then people claiming that they were with you and that this was all okay because we had to get the tweeting okay oh don't let them off the hook at all nope make them own it own it all. Own it all. Is that okay? Yeah, I think so. 
Do you pray about it? I, I feel real good about where I'm at right now. Good. Yeah, I do. I mean, well, Steve, what about love your neighbors? I love yourself. I mean, dude, if, if I if I made such a conscientiously stupid decision as to hand over my kids' future and civilization knowingly, not like I just lost, more people thought differently than me, but like I knowingly assented to this. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I affirmed it. Like I went in and voted for it. I affirmed, I affirmed with my own assent that because I found a guy grating, nauseating, um, uh, uh, narcissistic, and frankly, most days I find Donald Trump, all of those things. Uh, but because of that, I just thought that the antidote to that was just to turn this over to open barbarism. I would hope if I was so stupid, so vapid, so selfish, so shallow as to make that sort of conscientious decision in my own right mind, this would be the least I hope somebody would do to stop me from such foolishness. Like, I I mean, Jimmy Cagney, the grapefruit to my my face. Grab a steel-toed boot right to the sack. Do something. Because that's just stupidity. It's just dumb. It's just, it's beyond dumb. Beyond dumb. So we're already, we're beyond reason. And the guy hasn't even been inaugurated yet. And now we're beyond dumb, right? Right. I would, I would hope if I was going to do something that stupid, that in very stark terms, someone that cares about me would get my attention and stop me from doing that. And then if I did it, from ever doing it ever again, right? Yes. So, yeah, that's how... Now, maybe you wouldn't want to be loved that way, but I would. Todd, your thoughts? I'm feeling all kinds of warm and fuzzies right now. I am. I've got the vapors, in fact, right now, all right? I'm buying the world of Coke. Now, it, you know, it, it might be the kind that uh, you lay out over a record album, but I'm buying the world of Coke anyway. Todd, your thoughts? Well, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, throughout, as you know, one of my favorites uh, in first chapter of Isaiah, where would you yet be struck? That, that loving your neighbor as yourself comes in all different shape, shapes and sizes. You want context? I'll give you context. Oftentimes, it's the belt. And we're living in a society. I still remember the time I saw that Andy Griffin episode where some dude's kid was out of line and, and the, the, the dad was busy making excuses all the time and finally came around. And the end of that show, the Andy Griffith show, is like, well, I got a shed out back and uh, you can go take care of this if you want to. We don't live in that time anymore and we need to get a little closer to it. Sometimes you just need a whooping. I want to mention this too, even though we're short on time. Headline out of Israel. Looking at the Pfizer vaccine, the Pfizer COVID vaccine. Provides no SARS COVID-19 immunity for at least three weeks after the first shot. Positive test rates in people post-vaccination ran the same or higher than the overall population. Further, many people were infected after the second shot. Not to mention the injuries we're seeing across the world. Yeah. Now, this data comes, Israel is targeting vaccinations at older people uh, because obviously they're the most vulnerable. Now, who knows what those numbers would be once it reaches the younger and healthier population. I don't know. Um, I want to be open-minded. Maybe we have trans vaccines now where you actually get sicker by taking them. 
but that's the way it's supposed to work. Bigot. Right? Yeah. Do, we, do we have trans vaccines now? <laughs> maybe Israel has discovered that what Pfizer has done is not a failure here or something that maybe needs to be approached with more caution, but it's working exactly as it should. It's a trans vaccine. Is Are you doing the thing that you just told us to do where you mock yes, people? Yeah. More? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing that. Yeah. Point, point well taken. Yeah. Because I'm pretty confident in this thing that we used to call science that we now just call whatevs okay <laughs> it's um, i know all right that that's not actually how vaccines are supposed to work actually that's you sure um i'm i'm, I'm pretty sure don't knock until you try it yeah well they're trying it right now over in uh, in israel and those would be the results they're getting headline from israeli news services quote thousands of israelis test positive for coronavirus after the first vaccine shot is that bad is that bad? Maybe this is one time when they told us that we had to keep wearing masks after we got the vaccine. Where they were actually telling the truth. Maybe they were actually telling the truth this time. Yeah. Maybe they were. I, I wish we had time. I got an excellent question about this asked in my email today. Comparing this to uh, the polio vaccine and mandates at that time. And in the future, remind me, I want to answer that question. Okay. Okay. Because it's a great question, but the situations aren't comparable at all. But we'll address that at another time. Let's get to what's going on. The latest from COVID stand with our friend Phil Kirpin next. To all of the fellow carnivores out there, you want to give Omaha steaks a try. And if you want to know what makes them so darn good, it's the aging process. They age their steaks at least 21 days because that's the sweet spot. That's where the magic happens. And you can try those mouth-watering Omaha steaks right now in their Butcher's Best Sellers Grill Pack. It includes four of their iconic fork tender Butcher's Cut Filet Mignons, uh, four ultra-juicy burgers, four savory pork chops, desserts, so much more. Just go to omahasteaks.com, enter my last name, Dace, into the search bar for a special price on the Butcher's Bestsellers Package. Plus, you'll get four more chicken breasts and four more of those delicious burgers for free when you do that. So a special price plus bonus meat. All right, you want to give this a shot. Money back guarantee for everything you get at Omaha Steaks because they know you won't be sending it back. Instead, you're going to go back to them for even more. So go to omahasteaks.com, type my name, Dace, into the search bar to get this special offer and the bonus meat with it as well. Uh, it's the best set, the Butcher's Best Sellers Grill Pack, omahasteaks.com, promo code Dace. Our good friend Phil Kirpin is back here with us, uh, writing recently for the American Spectator, COVID and the illusion of control. Ordering the virus around doesn't work, makes fools out of politicians, and harms all involved. Phil, Happy New Year to you, brother. Good to have you back with us. How are you? Hey, Steve. Happy New Year. I'm good. How are you? Uh, could be a little better, but I could be a lot worse. Yeah, you know well, how it goes. Yeah, same here. <laughs> So we are on the dawn. We have a new regime coming in to oversee COVID stand, right? Is it meet the yeah. new boss, same as the old boss? Because I had to tell you, I, I'm, you're starting to see, I think, some breaches on team shutdown. Um, 
listen, they are home of the Branch Covidian cult, people who want this to be a doomsday virus because it gives meaning to their lives. But but also with, within team shutdowns, a lot of people that like going to Broadway shows, movies, ball games, uh, kids' graduations and stuff too. You've got uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo tweeting out about a week and a half ago, we just can't be locked down until the vaccines penetrate uh, the population because if we wait that long, we won't have anything left to reopen. The costs will be too high. Chicago, where a lot of us think the teacher unions are the local government, are telling teachers you're fired if you don't show up for work in person. Uh, The Chicago mayor now talking about lifting restrictions on bars and restaurants. Are we starting to see, I mean, I saw it in college football. I saw a lot of lefty sports people after the national championship game uh, a week ago, Monday night, already looking forward to how next year is going to be normal. And we're going to have fans back in the stands and a regular and a real season again, because they were really sold voting for, for voting for O'Biden would mean we'd get this thing under control and get back to normal. So where are we at now with the new regime heading into COVID stand? What's your read on this, Phil? Are they, are they, are there, are they weak in the knees over there yet at all? Well, I think we're seeing a split. Uh, I think we're seeing sort of a division on the left between the people who are like the true believers who are genuinely frightened and believe in all this stuff and the people who sort of use that as a political opportunity to defeat President Trump and now are ready to put it all aside and get back to normal. And, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of competing impulses. And so, you know, a lot of the examples you just pointed out um, – or, you know, Democrats are going to have to fight against other Democrats. So, you know, Cuomo says, I want New York to open. I don't think de Blasio agrees. you got the mayor of Chicago wants restaurants open. I don't think the governor of Illinois agrees. And so there are a lot of sort of complex dynamics here. What I think is likely is Biden is going to announce his 100-day mask mandate and uh, yeah, maybe call for new lockdown measures or other restrictions. Uh, and then he's going to say, I'm going to do the vaccine so much better than Trump did, but not actually change anything. And then at some point, a couple of months later, probably around the 100-day mark, uh, just by coincidence, they'll say everything we did worked, <laughs> and now we can declare victory. That's that's what I sort of suspect will happen. They can't do it immediately, and it'll be, it would be be too obvious, uh, but I think if they wait a few months, they're, they're going to mostly declare things uh, safe for a return to normal. And of course, you know that'll coincide with the end of the winter respiratory. Exactly. So yeah. That's see, will in fact, yeah. seeing sort of moving into spring and summer, uh, you know, mo- most places have very little respiratory disease then. So, in other words, when most of America isn't doing anything anyway, but being at home in the winter time in a normal season. Um, we use these uh, propagandist talking points, and then we get into the warm weather, which is always some form of kryptonite to uh, respiratory viruses. Lo and behold, uh, now that it's spring, it just so happens to coincide with that's when we're going to declare victory. It seems like a pretty cynical political ploy, uh, is what you're describing, Phil. Uh, yes. Well, yes, correct. Okay. But just so we're, just so we're honest and clear about that. Answer your question. Okay. What I expect, yeah. I expect a cynical political ploy. I mean, look, uh, hospitalizations peaked, uh, you know, about eight or ten days ago nationally. Uh, we were uh, probably post-peak on cases as well. Uh, you know, we're not quite at peak on deaths yet because those usually take a few more weeks, so we're probably two or three weeks away from that. Uh, none of that, of course, has anything to do with any new policies that might be put in by the new administration, but, you know, they're coming in 
from a political and a messaging and an optic standpoint, you know, I had a really good time. Just post-peak, things are about to head down, and, uh, you know, they're unlikely to do anything that will prevent that from occurring, so they're going to be able to claim credit for it. You talk. You just talked about competing impulses over there in COVID, Stan. Now that uh, um, guys wearing their uniforms are going to get control of this thing in Washington here this week. Um, I, I wonder also, though, if if there's competing worldview impulses, because one of the things that I think, and I, and, and I'm not sure you meant to do this, but I think you articulated when I'm a what the worldview situation here very well in your American Spectator piece. Yes, there's definitely leftists that believe in the Rahm Emanuel way, right? You don't let a good crisis go to waste. This is an excellent opportunity to to seize more and more and more status power. But I think another driving impulse of this is a worldview belief that there really is nothing beyond us as human beings, that we can we are masters of our own domain, uh, that we control this, that we can bend creation, we can bend nature, we can bend these things to our will, and and we don't have to really acknowledge our mortality, but we can control everything. We don't have to find ways to work around things. You know, they, we were still uh, fighting an industrial revolution, modernization at the time of the, the Spanish flu, for example. We don't have to make those accommodations now. We've evolved beyond that. We're in a more progressive era, and so we can control things, even like microscopic virus. I think that's the worldview behind which you're articulating uh, sort of that progressive utopianism that you're articulating in your piece. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's this idea, Steve, that... uh you know, if people would just listen to the directives uh, from government, then we would be able to you know, stop a virus from circulating. Essentially, that it is uh, that that human behavior is controllable by dictate, and uh, if we would simply follow the behaviors we're told to, that uh, it would abate the spread of a highly infectious, infectious respiratory virus. And you know, I think that this is uh, an incredible conceit. And of course, yeah, you know, every single place uh, they implement their policies, they fail. And and, you know, California's done every single thing that every one of them have said they should do for nine months. They've now got the worst outbreak in the entire country. Mm-hmm. And, of course, what do they, they don't say, hey, we were wrong. We shouldn't have imposed this widespread suffering for months and months and months. Instead, they say, well, people didn't follow us our uh, orders well enough. Uh, they failed uh, to, to comply adequately, <clears throat> excuse me, and therefore we need to crack down even harder and, uh, you know, enforce greater compliance. And so there's a refusal to accept uh, the limitations of of uh, government power and and even of of you know human agency to stop something like a respiratory virus and you know all of that said you know the one thing that actually could potentially cut this shorter than it would otherwise be is the vaccine and so uh, you know we, we do finally have potentially the possibility of shortening kind of the natural uh, duration of this thing uh, but what, what do they tell us they say even after you get the vaccine you have to follow all of our crazy rules and restrictions and right I mean that right. just shows that uh, that there is another agenda beyond just the uh, you know the belief that they can control a virus. I mean, they do want to control people, uh, kind of independent of that. I mean, I, I mentioned a minute ago the college football national championship game a week ago yesterday. Both of the head coaches in that game had COVID in the last month, and they're both on the field outdoors in Miami, Florida. Okay, wearing masks. Why? That kind of just goes to what you're talking about. And so there's two schools of thought on this. One school of thought says that they're going to try to time this for when they feel like people have really gotten fed up, declare victory, 
and they want to get the economy and the country going back so it happens on their watch and they can get the credit for it and that's when they'll give us the all clear and maybe for a while you'll still have to wear masks but uh, they don't intend to do this indefinitely because it's not good politically for them another school of thought says this isn't going to end until we make it end and not a moment sooner because governments don't give back power even when it would behoove them publicly to do so where do you come down on this divide phil which do you think is the end game here well um i think that um you know there are more sort of normal democrats they want it to be over as soon as it can be over so they can get back to life uh, than there are sort of the technocratic elite that want to hold on to control as long as possible. And so I think that at some point, you know, the political imperative becomes that they, they proclaim victory and take credit for it rather than try to prevent it from occurring. And, uh, you know, some of the technocrats won't be happy with that, but I ultimately see that, it, you know, it has to go. It, it can't continue forever. People won't tolerate it. So I, I do think that at some point, you know, they'll make the political calculus Let's end it and claim credit rather than, you know, keep it going as long as possible. Do you think that moment is this year? I, I, you know, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure because I think that the only logical way they proclaim victory is when they get pretty wide availability of the vaccine. And, you know, that certainly could happen this year, could happen by summer, especially if Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca get approved and we have, you know, vastly more supply as a consequence of that. Um, you know, if the vaccine uptake is low, though, then they might we might start hearing, hey, we've got to keep all the restrictions and limitations uh, in place until more people take the vaccine and then use that as a pressure point. And so I'm not fully confident when I say yes this year, but that's, I think, the most likely scenario is it's kind of by summertime. It's mostly over. Final question. What are you monitoring right now for a trend, for a benchmark that shows a turn in this... um ongoing absurdity what are you looking at well i'm i'm looking at uh the vaccine rollout uh is kind of the main thing and i monitor that data every day uh, especially the vaccine by age although only about half the states report that unfortunately my view is that once the vaccine is available to every senior who wants it whether they take it or not once it's available to every senior who wants it we're going to have a much much stronger case uh for opening everything because you know the whole pitch against you know young people being able to do whatever they want is well you might infect an old person and they'll die and i think if you say, well, you know, old people, if they want the vaccine, they have it. It's as good as it's going to get for them. Uh, it undercuts a lot of that. And so I, that's really the main thing that I've been watching is uh, the vaccine rollout, especially for seniors. I'm, I'm almost out of time, but really quick. Are you concerned when you see things like Norway saying, hey, uh, old, frail people don't take this. We're shutting it down for a while. Data out of Israel this morning. Uh, which shows that uh, sometimes the positivity rate of those who got the first uh, rollout, I think, of the Pfizer vaccine was the same as people who didn't, if not higher uh, in some cases. Are you concerned with any of that at all? Uh, I still think the vaccine data is very positive overall. Um, you know, but look, people need to make informed decisions for themselves for their specific situation. You have to trade off the risks and decide what makes sense for you. You know, for most seniors, the vaccine risks are much, much smaller than the COVID risks, so it makes sense to take it. Now, does that change if you're extremely right. medically frail and you're near the end of your life anyway? Mm-hmm. Probably, because at that point, you know, anything could kill you. And so, you know, why try to Does it change if you're vaccine? 35 years old and healthy? 
Well, I think if you're 35 years old and healthy, the disease itself carries, you know, near zero risk. Right. And so, you know, you don't, you don't really need the vaccine for any medical reason. Um, you might want it if, you know, Ticketmaster is going to require it to go to a concert or some of the things. So, I mean, you got to sort of take other considerations into effect uh, if you're young and healthy. Phil, good stuff as always, man. Good to talk to you. Keep doing the work you're doing. All right. God bless. Take care. Yep. Have a good one. Bye. You bet. Thoughts on that conversation? Todd, Aaron? Well, I think it's fascinating how his primary uh, impetus for discussing vaccines there doesn't matter if we're all on the exact same page about the biological efficacy, but he's talking about the psychological efficacy, mm-hmm. which 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 just speaks to the fact that he just says, as soon as we have enough out, whether they take it or not, then we will will we have finally reached the end of this ridiculous shell game that we've ha- been doing since the very beginning that Aaron's speaking to with the Oz goes up to 11 with four masks, five masks. The whole thing has always been a psyop. And Phil understands that to the very end. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, and I mean, that's un- unfortunate, but uh, I don't know. Uh, call me crazy, but I-, I don't even think that the psychological benefits are going to keep certain sectors and certain places isolated. Let- let's just say isolated, though they may be, from continuing these ridiculous lockdown masking measures. Because how long, how long is it going to be until Karen at the grocery store trusts that it's safe to go out without a mask. The answer to that question is, is never Uh, let's just be honest because Karen's always going to be looking around. I wonder if they are vaccinated, they're vaccinated, they're vaccinated. Are they vaccinated? Do they take the vaccine? That's what's going to happen, unfortunately. So I don't see any end in sight unless we make it so of these, uh, of these lockdown and uh, virus mitigation strategies. I, I think I, I think both of those impulses are accurate. And I think what's going to be fascinating is we have we have only been subjected here in the what's left of America the last few years to the statist the, the statist impulse of the Democrats because of a true belief in statism because that has been the driving force of their political energy for the last few years. And it's easy to succumb to that part of your base when you can play it off the other party, right? Mm-hmm. When, when the guy you don't like is in the White House. Now, though, it's all their own people running the show. And, and that does change the political calculus, at least a little bit. How much? We're about to find out. Hour two is next. And we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook, on MeWe, at Steve Dace. Follow us on Clout Hub and Gab, at Steve Dace as well. Follow us on Twitter, 
at Steve Dace Show. Check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And Rumble is the YouTube free speech alternative. We're there at rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. All right. So coming up here in hour two, Pop Culture Tuesday, as well as Fake News or Not. More on that in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about Annie's Kit Clubs because winter is not coming. It is now here. How are you going to occupy the kiddos? And it just can't be screen time the entire time. That's where Annie's comes in. Um, They are their perfect subscription box for both boys and girls. And yes, we're assuming genders here on this program. Uh, For the boys, they've got the Young Woodworkers Kit Club, a monthly subscription that puts real tools into your boy's hands. Every month, he's going to get a chance to receive an all-in-one woodworking kit with the materials and the tools that kids need to make an awesome woodworking project with minimal supervision. And then for the girls, there's Annie's Creative Girls Club. It sends two fun craft projects every month, complete with easy to follow instructions. You can kickstart our creativity through painting, beading, and more. Help your kids develop actual skills, mastering real world building and new crafting techniques, while also having fun and expressing their creativity. Makes a great gift. And right now, 75% off your first shipment. That is practically giving it away. 75% off your first shipment when you go to Annie's A-N-N-I-E Annie's kitclub.com. I always forget that part. Annie's kitclubs.com slash Steve. Annie's kitclubs.com slash Steve. Get 75% off at Annie's kitclubs.com slash Steve. All right, let's get to it. Pop Culture Tuesday, where we look each week at the intersection between popular culture and conservatism. And uh, what's been going on a lot in pop culture in America right now is there have been more um, violations of Godwin's law. It's a, it's a law of argumentation that says if an argument persists long enough, sooner or later it will devolve into Nazi accusations or comparisons, right? Um, we don't even, like most of our laws, uh, the Constitution, we don't really care about Godwin's law. We just skip right to, we don't wait for the argument to deteriorate into Nazi charges. We start there now. And everybody's tossing them around on both sides of the aisle. It's everywhere. So that got me to thinking here for the last couple of weeks. I needed to get brushed up on my Adolf. Uh, I was a big World War II buff as a kid. Read like everything I could find on it in the school libraries and stuff. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a long time uh, since I've done that. And I'm, I was more concerned with... There's a lot of great World War II stuff out there. But I was more concerned with the circumstances culturally on the ground in Germany that that essentially provided the environment for such a figure to emerge. And so I found this highly recommended 2018 British documentary. I think it's a BBC documentary called The Hitler Chronicles. And in it, they've got a bunch of never-before-seen file footage um, from Nazi vaults, life behind the scenes in the Third Reich, Life behind the scenes with uh, Hitler at his various retreats, private life, Ava Braun, all kinds of stuff. Okay. And, and then the way that they narrate this is it's narrated by recollections, diaries from everybody from like there's a woman that's often quoted, uh, an old gr- Prussian grandmother named Henrietta who kept a very detailed diary of what she was reading in the news at the time. All right. To people, the Hitler himself. 
Um, you know, Gehring, Goebbels, the members, uh, Himmler, members of the high command, uh, Eichmann, uh, other members of the media, um, uh, clergy, things that they wrote or testified to at Nuremberg are then seeded in to these file footages. And so you hear all these different voices and perspectives describing what's going on. And it starts really early in Hitler's life, like, you know, his childhood. And, and that's what I'm more interested in. Once we get into the war stuff, then it's the war stuff. And that's a whole, and that's cool stuff, but that's a whole different conversation. I'm, I'm more concerned about what led up to these events. Watching this in a couple of these episodes, I found to be so captivating, even though hearing the various voices at times is a little awkward, but the footage and watching it, you know, there's a fantastic movie that HBO produced about uh, 15 years ago or so called Conspiracy. And it's about, it's one of the few, it's like the only thing about the final solution we have a full record of. And it was um, a luncheon that was done at a posh resort with a bunch of members of the Nazi high command. Uh, Kenneth Branagh and a whole bunch of people you would recognize from shows like Game of Thrones and a lot of those kinds of shows are in this film. And they all just get together one day over lunch at, at this posh resort. And they're just hammering out the details of the final solution. I mean, it's, well, it's like watching the David Daleiden Planned Parenthood videos, just crunching granola. Hey, you know, you need a baby's foot. You need a leg. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's so normal. It's just, and they're just like drawing diagrams and they're doing math on napkins about how many bodies and how many trains it takes to ship all these Jews out and stuff. It's just chilling to watch because it's so normal. Right, you don't smell any sulfur. There's, there's nobody dressed up in any kind of red unitard with a pitchfork, right? It's just, that's what's so chilling about it is it comes across in this film as normalcy. And that's the same thing that happens in this documentary, The Hitler Chronicles. You literally just watch Hitler preside over balls, take pictures with kids, um, you know, and, and host luncheons and dinners, laughing at people doing parodies of him. It's so normal that a couple of these episodes, I watched them twice. That's how engrossing I found this documentary. I think it's about eight parts. I have some big takeaways I want to share. And then Todd and Aaron, you guys are going to decide if you see any parallels. If, it's, if, if any of this is legitimate, if the Hitler thing is just a complete gaslight uh, demagogue, or are there some legitimate c comparisons here that should give us some um, uh, cause for pause. Fair enough? Yes. Okay. Let's start with this one. One of the things you'll learn watching this, there was no true Nazism. Nazism as an ideology is really not a thing. They have a claimed ideology, but it's not really a thing. There was just Hitlerism. It wasn't an ideology as much as a cult of personality. The Nazi party was Hitler. Hitler was the Nazi party. But what, well, what, what do Nazis stand for? What's Hitler for? What's Hitler for? What Nazis stand for? There was no, nothing separate from him. They were uh, street thugs, guttural trash. No one took seriously until he came along. He was everything. President for life, chancellor, everything. Um, and his word was law. 
soldiers swore an oath not to Germany, but to him. So nothing existed. He was Alpha and Omega, essentially. Second, so why can the left and right credibly and simultaneously see elements of Hitlerism within their opposition? Right? It's, it's fascinating how both sides of our political divide in the West just with with complete conviction too, like no, you can like there's not even any sign that someone's just gaslighting you or demagoguing you. But like they really believe this in the fiber they're being with with everybody. How can these two viewpoints that aren't really reconcilable each claim that the, they see such a vile figure in the other with great conviction? Here's how Hitlerism was really a warped amalgamation of various worldviews representing really every side of the current Western political spectrum, almost like a perfect construct. Like he was like expertly crafted in the bowels of hell to appeal to a country mired in sectarian differences, which Germany was post-World War I. In fact, when Hitler rose to power, there were 25 different political parties at the time of his emergence, 25, 25. For example, uh, there was a workers' party. But the problem is one group was not happy that, um, the, that the workers' party was secular. So that it became the Christian workers' party. But then the Christian workers' party really did, the Protestants and Catholics in Germany didn't really want to share a party together. So we had the, the Christian workers' party and the Catholic workers' party. This sectarian breakdown went on everywhere. It was systemic. And if you look at a lot of what he talked about and his talking points, they were really perfectly placed morsels that would appeal to every side. Hyper-patriotism, belief. Um, you know what? Let's get to that next talking point before I spell it, because that's going to lay it out. Hitler's main conviction, other than his own megalomaniacism, so belief in himself, he believed in the historic superiority of German culture. But alongside the bleakness of Darwinism's natural selection, and this documentary points this out. In other words, he fused the worst elements, I guess, of what we will call German exceptionalism, the worst elements. That, that, that German culture was beyond correction. It was holy, essentially. It was complete in and of itself. But then he fused that from the right with Darwinism from the left. Meaning that if it is true that our culture is superior to all others, and if, if it's also true that all of nature can be boiled down into a struggle for survival of favored races or species, then let's do the math here. Two plus two is four, right? If our culture is superior and history is really nothing more than the preservation of favored races and species and in the process of natural selection, then we're not even going to Hellenize people like Alexander the Great did. We're not going to do evangelism like the Christians did. We're going to conquer you for your own good. And if, you're, if your belief system is inferior to ours, you don't get really the chance to absorb, like in Hellenization, you're eliminated. That's natural selection. 
he fused those two things. You're describing why you can have such cold, calculated conversations about genocide over a luncheon. Because like yes. you said, we're just doing the math here. And so this is why we have both sides of our spectrum right now credibly see echoes of this in the other side, right? Lefties who really don't appreciate American exceptionalism reject it. They see there's no distinction between American exceptionalism and the German exceptionalism that took jingoism, that skipped past jingoism, all right, and went right to complete and total idolatry. Uh, they see no distinction between those things. Like, they don't consider that you could love what America stands for and then be deeply disappointed by the sin of slavery and see that. And the reason you're disappointed by it is because you see it as a violation, a repudiation of what America stands for. Right. Yeah. They can't they can't see that distinction. On the other hand, we see we can see what the ultimate consequence is of accepting their Darwinian worldview that eventually we end up at the descent of man every time we end. We always go from the origin of species to the descent of man. It's just a matter of how fast are we going to get there? All right. So Hitler man went warp speed. Pardon the Operation Warp Speed pun. He went warp speed there, but that's always where you're going to end up. When you accept Darwinism, you're always going to end up at the descent of man eventually. All right, next. Other than being a powerful public speaker and a decent painter, I mean, he was good, but he couldn't get a lot of his paintings sold. Couldn't get into a lot of art schools. Um, he was an entirely unremarkable human being. I mean, it was like, I mean, he was a, barely an average student. Uh, spent his teenage years into his 20s as basically a bohemian. In fact, that's why he didn't, despite bravery on the battlefield in World War One, he spent almost the entire, his almost entire four-year enlistment in World War One on the Western Front, active in battle. He never got any forms of promotions because he was considered too bohemian for German, the, the traditionalist of the, of, of, you know, Bismarck infused and influenced Kaiser military. There's just nothing about him, nothing remarkable about him really at all. He could speak really well, but that was about it. His grades in mathematics or any form of higher education were all poor. Um, really unremarkable. That was it. That's all I could do was talk really well. Nothing more. Nothing less. This one really stood out to me. Hitler valued animal life more than human life. He was a staunch, militant vegetarian. In fact, at private events and dinners, he was known in the middle of the dinner while guests were eating meat to on purpose attempt to disgust them by regaling them with intimate details of what goes on at slaughterhouses. What is done to the animals and the way that they are treated that they're eating. He was staunchly more protective of animal life than human life. That one really stuck out to me. Um, this one did too. There was no cohesive morality in the Third Reich. Homosexuality was becoming mainstream in Berlin before the rise of the Nazis in post-World War I Germany. But then they outlawed it. However, at the same time, homosexuality was also rampant in their own ranks. And they didn't just outlaw, outlaw sodomy. Like, it was very specific. Like, mutual masturbation. Like, anything. Like, they, they literally come, they tried to come up with anything they thought homosexuals might do and ban it. 
yet homosexuality was rampant within the Nazi party. Um, the Nazis started off with obscenity laws against nudity when they first took over. But then it didn't take long. They ended up heavily promoting it in the arts once they had control of the culture, particularly female nudity. I mean, they, they essentially turn um, high art, like ballet, into burlesque dancers. Female nudity was everywhere in the Reich. Hitler often exempted himself uh, and or despised the tenets of his own stated ideology. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, he disdained the pursuit of athletics. It was one of the few things he was naturally good at at school. There was a legend once that in school he may have swam the, Dan the Danube. He actually did get high marks for physical education. That was like the highest grade he received in school, a painting and physical education. But he gave all that up because he viewed it to be bourgeois. He viewed it to be for the, uh, for the lesser evolved people. So he was promoting Aryan superiority while at the same time he disdained the pursuit of excellence in athletics, disdained it. Um, he rescued at the dawn of the final solution. Uh, he rescued a Jewish family physician from the family solution, personally signed off on him being allowed to emigrate to America. Finally, or yeah, finally, um, the personal accounts uh, about Hitler from Nazi insiders, when you watch this show, man, they vary dramatically. It's, it's schizophrenic. They're not even close to reconcilable. Um, some claim he was cold. Others, that he had a great sense of humor. He even, people were known to do parodies of Hitler. And they were afraid if they got found out that they'd be, you know, punished. He laughed at them. He was self-deprecating. Um, he even brought impersonators in when he was hosting events. Some said that he was shy in personal settings, would kind of shrink in those settings. Others were adamant that he commanded every room that he was in. I mean, these things aren't reconcilable. Um, him and Ava Braun, some claim that they were sexually prolific. They could hear them going at it all the time. Others claim there was never any evidence whatsoever of any physical affection at all, let alone a sexual connection. The accounts of those in their own memoirs, in their own testimonies, who had personal access to Hitler. We're not talking about, hey, he was a commanding presence, but quiet, he was different. And they, they, <laughs> they could not agree who the person was that they were engaged with intimately on a regular basis. They vary, they're all over the place. So those are my major takeaways from this Amazon documentary, The Hitler Chronicles. Now, you guys see any parallels? Are we just demagoguing and gaslighting each other with the Hitler toss arounds? Or do you see any legitimate parallels here that made you think, uh-oh, what do you think? Oh, yeah. You did? I, okay. I, well, I, I can't help but think about what we just talked about in the last segment with Phil Kirpin, the lockdowns, and why, you know, ever... Everybody, uh, even Phil himself said, uh, you know, sooner or later, people won't tolerate it. Th listen, the, the personality type, and you bullet pointed it over and over and over again, so you just can't dismiss one. There's a, it describes so many people 
particularly on the left. It's definitely on both sides, but particularly on the left. And whereas all, uh, the deviants you described in Nazi Germany, the power those people had was limited. Today, these people are elevated to all manner of power. They, they may, might not be the president of the country, but the apparatus, uh, the march through the institutions, they're legion. It, it, Karen has become the joke of this, but Karen is really, uh, and they exist on the, on the right, it's a personality type, uh, as you've rightly described with him. And once that personality type uh, is the platform you're you're and and you have bots just processed over and over and over again it 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 takes nothing short of a spiritual awakening to turn that switch off because it's all consuming you never separate the the thing you're for from the personality mm -hmm. they they have become fused again that's the only way to describe why orwell called un, being unpersoned yes. i believe is what he called it. that's yeah. how you can talk about carts full of people being sent off to the slaughterhouse over a club sandwich that's exactly how it happens and i don't know about it's not it's not just twitter but you again out in the social circles i, I i'm in uh, sports is not as prevalent right now but the un blinking combination of the thing they believe with raw personality type is mm -hmm. so fused right now that we are a lot closer to this chaos that most people in their bourgeoisness if i may borrow are willing to admit because they're if they did their bourgeoisness would not be a luxury they could afford anymore mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons for that is that it, it would be a lot easier to recognize the mortal peril that our culture and our society is in if the vast majority of people in this country um, had to worry about where they, were, where they were getting their next meal. Meaning, as long as it feels like it's happening in Washington and not on your, not on your kitchen or d dining room table... As long as it feels like it's out there and not in here, you can allow any number, any number of excess, any number of uh, of just um, for lack of of better word, decay and decadence to happen and to say, OK, with as long as it's not the uh, the transgender that's running against your daughter. I don't really like it, but I'm not going to say anything. Don't want to rock the bo boat. As long as it's not your job, uh, you know, that really sucks, but we're all in this together. As long as it's not happening to you, you can allow anything to happen to others. <laughs> and that's, that's, I think, where we're at. And it's a, it's, it's a similar sentiment to what Todd has, has talked about on multiple occasions, which is our decadence and our excess have allowed us to... Uh, amuse ourselves to death to borrow a phrase um and i i think that's i think that's i think that's the main parallel that i see between between us right now the political divides and the germans back then as well where that that country was on the cutting edge we're on the cutting edge
Yet within not that much time, we saw what happened. We just have so we, we just have the crutch of of wealth and decadence that until that is taken away, all bets are off on where this train is going to go. No pun intended. The thing I'm concerned about, I, I definitely see a couple of worldview parallels, like the thing I highlighted with the the, the greater regard for animal life than human life, for example. I, I, I see that there's a worldview booyah base there, I guess we'll call it, where with uh, adding the right proper ingredients and then the right uh, liquid nourishment, you can come up, uh, you can pour forth uh, a pretty ghastly stew out of that cauldron, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. right? The thing, though, that I'm the most concerned about is is it's it's antithetical for the American spirit to cheer the concentration of power in the hands of a singular entity, whether it's a person, an office, a political party. That's just not typically how we roll. We have 50 independent United States. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, that's just not that's antithetical to the American scheme, system, spirit, etc. But as we become more and more divided, it's increasingly gaining in popularity. You know, more and more on our side, there's a notion we need a strong man uh, in order to push back on the strong government that they want to do. The, the, the obsession with what happens in Washington, D.C. A culture like Germany, which had been under a monarchy for centuries um, and had turned Bismarck into uh, an, an, an almost mosaic-like figure in terms of as, as a military deliverer, right? It, it, it wasn't... The, 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 the Weimar Republic was, was the pilot program for them. What, what Hitler was proposing was a, was a normal that they had been used to for generations. Right. It's just a matter of, from a process standpoint, not, not, I'm not talking about the ideology, but the notion that one leader can save the people from themselves was not unique in, in German lore, right. right? It's incredibly unique in ours. This is your whole thesis of a nefarious plot. I mean, we the people had to come to assent to their own suicide in the name of we the people. Mm-hmm. You expressly lay that out. Mm-hmm. That's the con. Otherwise, it was never going to work. And I think that, that, and and there's a balance there because we do have to have strong leaders that will, if we get them elected, will use the power um, that we give them in order to punish those who want to who want to punish us outside of the American norm, right? Mm-hmm. So there there's a balance there, but there institutionally we just don't have a culture that could prov- that could provide a launching pad for such a leader to emerge because at an institutional level we are in, we are bureaucratic on purpose. Our founders did this so that a character like a Napoleon couldn't happen here, right? But we're now that you're seeing those institutions erode, you're seeing those traditions thrown away. We went from the courts were created to be the weakest of the three branches. We then watered it down post Marbury Madison for 150 years to, well, now we've got three co-equal branches, right? And now where we sit now is we have one branch that is all supreme over all the other branches, and it's the one that we don't elect, right? And t- so tomorrow- that's my concern is yeah. we do now have an atmosphere where such a figure could emerge because the institutions that were put in place at our founding to prevent that level of demographic have been so 
incredibly eroded. And tomorrow we're going to have an inauguration. We're going to be talking about words like freedom and liberty and we the people. And it's going to be done in a capital city on military lockdown. Ironic, right? And then while, by the way, most of America is sitting in their homes, unable to go, even if they wanted to, or to go anywhere, uh, even if they wanted to. There's some, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's, that is my, that is my concern. Well, I would urge you, if you guys have time uh, to watch it yourselves, come to your own conclusions and see if you came away with the same takeaways that I did. All right, coming up next, fake news or not, Pew Research has done a survey of the religious beliefs of the incoming Congress and has found that 88% of them are Christian. What does that mean? We'll discuss next. the average American has almost 100 points that they can add to their current credit score and no idea how to get them. Scoremaster is the new credit science that will super boost your credit score. You can forget about raising it just a few points. That's kind of weak. How about the fact Scoremaster's average user can raise their score about 60 points in about three weeks or less? That makes a big difference. And whether you get approved for that home, auto, or mortgage business loan also makes a big difference. Let's say you can get approved. How about the terms of that loan, the interest rate uh, that you can get as well. Uh, that can be life-changing as well as a job. A lot of employers are looking at credit scores nowadays. So here's how it works. They take the information that the banks have on you and they give it to you where it belongs, but they give it to you in a way because uh, a lot of times now you know, they've changed the laws. You can go online, order a credit report. You ever tried deciphering that thing? I mean, it's Sanskrit. Well, uh, Scoremaster makes this very, very plain to you so that you know exactly why you have the score you have, and then we go another step. You can find out exactly how to get to the score that you need and want. You can enroll in minutes, see how many plus points Scoremaster can add to your score. If you visit scoremaster.com slash Steve, again, that's scoremaster.com slash Steve. All right, gentlemen, let's get to fake news or not. This from Pew Research and the Christian Post. Let me share. The incoming U.S. Congress is made up of 88% Christians, according to an analysis of the Pew Research Center in a report called Faith on the Hill. The Pew Research Center analyzed the religious affiliations of 531 members of the uh, the incoming Congress and compared them to the religious demographics of the U.S. as a whole. Pew obtained the data from a questionnaire conducted by Roll Call asking members about their religious backgrounds. The publication of the Pew report came just one day after this Congress was sworn in. While the House of Representatives um, has a few seats that were vacant. And after the runoffs, what it found was the runoffs in Georgia. uh, What it found was 468 members of Congress that's 88% identify as Christian compared to 65% of the American public as a whole. A majority of the Christians on Capitol Hill identify as Protestant, while 55% of lawmakers are Protestant. Just 43% of the American public identifies as that. 
A plurality of Protestants in Congress describe themselves as, quote, unspecified or other. The largest single Protestant denomination represented on Capitol Hill is Baptists, with 66 adherents in the incoming Congress. Baptists on Capitol Hill make up 12.4% of the Congress. So that's about 15, they represent about 15% of the public. The other Protestant denominations represented on Capitol Hill include Methodists. They're next with 35. Anglicans, Episcopalians have 26. Presbyterians, 24. Lutherans, 22. As well as non-denominational Protestants. Only having 12. 158 members of the new Congress are Catholic. That's about 30%. Catholics comprise about 20% of the U.S. population. Compared, though, to the last Congress, the numbers have declined. So, there are no Buddhists, no Hindus, no Muslims, or no Unitarians in um, the Senate. Less than 1% of those groups are represented in the House. So, gentlemen, this report, is it fake news or not? It's total fake news. Um, I know for I have it on good authority that there is at least at least one percent Muslim, atheist, vegan, pansexual, lizard people, and especially the last part. I mean, it's a hundred percent lizard people. Let's be let's be honest about that. But I have it on good authority that Muslim, atheist, vegan, pansexual, lizard people are are far are far more represented in the uh, in the halls of of Congress than this report is leading on. Now, now, now I I do know of a way uh, that this could be real news. What what kind of Christianity are we talking about here? Is this the type of Christianity that that follows the logic that we heard in the first segment from that? Um, infectious disease expert saying that a cloth mask plus a surgical mask equals an N95. Is this the type of Christianity that says um, feeling good plus uh, Jesus a few times equals Christianity? Uh, Christianity is, is that the type of Christianity we're talking about? Because there's there. I mean, those. I mean, that's that's everywhere. That's everywhere. So that that's the only way I can see that this is actually true news. Todd, what do you think? But that's why I think it's totally true news. Uh, and I, even if most of these people are lying through their teeth to say they're Christians to get elected, but they got elected by the majority of the church who's just fine with lies in their own faith life. And you see it over and over and over again if you're paying attention. Again, right now. We just have our second Catholic president in this nation's history. He will be described as a devoted Catholic. He just appointed a tranny to tell you what is healthy and scientific and moral. The Catholic president said that. And we're just going to march on as if, you know, love is love and tolerance is tolerance and, and say things to ourselves to convince ourselves that the earth was in fact created flat. This is very, very true lose. Uh, in, in, in scripture, and certainly in Catholic tradition, we can talk about how we parse these, but you know, the power of binding and loosing, the sins you forgive will be forgiven and the sins you retain will be retained. This, 
we are told in our Christian tradition that it's not as simple as just saying, well, you're not a real Christian. The church, the body of Christ, is by definition filled with sinners, no matter what, always. And if those sinners spend more time patting themselves on the back as members of that church than on bended knee, that's still the church. They're still Christians. That's not to say they're not going straight to hell. But <laughs> that, that number there should not be casually swept under the rug as, well, you know, they don't take it seriously. I mean, just Christmas or anything like that. No, you, this is a very sobering number. We'd be way better shape right now as a culture if all the same stuff was going on, but that number was a hard 50%. Yep. 30%. We'd be in way better shape because we wouldn't be lying to ourselves as much about our state of affairs. So I have an idea about this survey. I'll get to that here in a moment. First, though, let me tell you about keeps. Have you noticed your hair not looking as full as it used to? Yeah, losing your hair is no fun. There are some options. I mean, you could go to your doctor, get a hair loss treatment prescription, then visit the pharmacy as you try not to go broke, avoiding trying to go bald. Or you can just use keeps from the comfort of your own home. We're going to get the same doctor-recommended, FDA-approved hair loss treatment, but keeps offers the generic versions for about half the cost. And another thing you're going to love about keeps, the convenience, it's all done online. Just answer a few questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and then a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you, and it's shipped directly to your door. So how about one more incentive? So the generic version, so you save big money, the convenience factor, it's all online. How about big savings on top of big savings for your first order? Half off your first order when you go to Keeps, K-E-E-P-S, K-E-E-P-S, Keeps.com slash grow, 50% off your first order at keeps.com slash grow. So instead of asking, I mean, this is something I thought we did with our religious dad on the cruise campaign is we did, we, we, we did well, is we got specific. We didn't ask somebody what, what brand they claimed. We asked them what they believed. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What are what are you your beliefs? About this, yeah, yeah. And um, what I would like to see somebody do, and it would could it, they wouldn't answer questions from us. It'd have to be somebody like the Hill roll call, um, somebody who's embedded and approved via the Overton window there in the the Capitol District One culture. Ask questions like this. Is human nature basically good? Did Jesus physically rise again from the grave? Is he alive right now? Will Jesus return one day to separate the sheep from the goats? Is Satan a real being and not a figurative explanation for evil? Is hell a real place 
where unrepentant sinners are tormented for all of eternity. See where I'm going with this? Of course. Ask, That's my point. Yeah. What's the name of your pastor? What's the name of your priest? I'm trying to remember who did this, but somebody did an exit poll in the Missouri primary. Now, I was very involved in the data in that primary because uh, in 2016, Utah was the only state in the country that a majority of the general population attended church on a frequent basis, meaning more than once a month. Missouri was a close number two. So it was just over 50% in Utah. It was just under 50%, like 49.7 or something in Missouri of the general population attended church more than once a month. And what we found in Missouri is that those who called themselves evangelicals but didn't attend church more than once a month overwhelmingly voted for Trump. And those who called themselves evangelicals but did attend church more than once a month overwhelmingly voted for us. If you could name, if you knew the name of your pastor or priest and called yourself a Christian, you tended to vote for us. And if you did know the name of your pastor or priest and called yourself a Christian in the primary, you tended to vote for Trump. The data kept showing this. Um, that's why I'd want to quantify not so much what you claim, but what you believe. You see what I'm saying? Of course. I would, I would want to quantify what do you actually believe. And then, and then let the beliefs determine the label rather than your label transcend or override the, the, the actual beliefs. Because you know a tree by its fruit. So, I mean, what do you actually believe? And then those beliefs uh-huh. then tell me what label you fall under, right? That, I mean, that's the way it should but work. But fundamentally, to my point, if, you, if one of your beliefs is that you never excommunicate anyone, big tent, like everybody, right? Yeah, then this is what you get right now. There's no line in the sand ever. There's no Picard moment, not even close. You, and when you do try to, you feel like you're the one who has to go for confession for having a standard. Really, that's right. the sin. Right, right. I mean, could you guys only imagine the what, what we'd get from the 535 members of the House and Senate if we found out, if we did a George Barna-like survey of their beliefs and they answered them? Cue the dark tongue of Mordor, Aaron. Could you Could you <laughs> imagine the answers we would get back? Regardless of party, could you imagine the answers we would get back? I mean, I've been asked before, if I, if, if I was cast in the Hugh Hewitt role in the last primary cycle, he was allowed to show up at a few of the GOP primary debates and basically ask a question, right? What's the question I would ask? Is human nature basically good? And I just want to know your answer. Because that's, that's going to tell me if you're a progressive or not, is your answer to that question. When you did this with like the five Republican race here in Iowa. Oh, like 10 years ago, the running for the congressional uh, yeah. primary? Oh, yeah. Oh, goodness, was it depressing to listen on the radio? It was just, you could just see the grinding of the gears. What, what's the Christian y thing I say right now? It was. Because asking them their beliefs and getting into the worldview transcends any talking points that they've been coached to say, or not even coached to say, yeah. but they've just sort of absorbed because that's the cultural norm, yeah. right? 
you know, we talked again a lot about this in the 2016 primary. You referenced it earlier in the show. We used to call it the time roll tide evangelicalism, mm-hmm. you know, that I can't be found at a church on a Sunday. I'm, at, I'm, I'm probably at the NASCAR race or the, I'm, you know, at a gun show. But I remember that one Christmas where, where Mary Sue looked really great in her Easter dress. Then we took her to First Baptist on Peachtree Street. And I'm an evangelical because everybody around me is right. And the same thing works in places like the Northeast. Well, I got, you know, I've got a I've got a, a, a relic on, on my uh, overhead mirror from St. Christopher, the patron saint of travel. And I went to I went to St. Cecilia's for the fourth grade. I don't remember a damn thing, but I'm Catholic because, you know, that's what everybody in Boston does. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Sort of a cultural inflection point or an absorption point where I'm just I'm, I'm conforming to a cultural norm as opposed to is it really what I believe? And do I even know what that means? That's why you want to ask these questions. You want you want to know the answers to those things. But what you said a while ago is we would be better off if if this if if they did all the stuff that they do every day, but the survey showed that they weren't claiming to be Christians, but a lot of these other belief systems. Yeah. See, this is why this is why as disappointed as I am that he lost, and this is why as convinced I am of the fraud. Now that we're here at the end of this era and the beginning of the third term, were you of about Biden, to say the end of all things? Okay, I was about <laughs> yeah. to say to stop myself. Yeah, um, but not <laughs> the dragons are hovering, <laughs> lava's flowing everywhere. Right. Is that the Nazgul? Um, <laughs> but now that we're here at the end of this era and on the dawn of the third term of Biden, and if you ever wanted to know what would Barack Obama do with the third term, you're about to find out. That's what this is going to be. I'm now. I will tell you. I am excited. And the reason why I'm excited is because the permission we have to be honest now is, is more open than it ever has been in my career. That all the idols have been stripped bare now. Everything's out in the open now, right? The stuff that I would say about Republicans that were stabbing us in the back that people would threaten my job four years ago is trite and tame compared to what's being said right now by other people. Some of them were the people that were threatening me back in those days, mm-hmm. okay? So I give me an environment where we're all consenting adults. We're not lying to each other about why we're here tonight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Give me an environment where the, where the truth is allowed out where the truth is allowed to have its way. I kind of feel like, from my belief system's perspective, we're the home team when that's the case. And it kind of feels like that's the case now. But we shall see. Back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.